0: and welcome to another Quarren's stream. I am your host, Joe Magician, and today we'll be delving into the backstory of the house that most people kinda don't really think of as a house in-universe or outside with the readers, and that is House Baelish of the Fingers. Peter Littlefinger Baelish is a character that absolutely needs to get a job, a villainous figure known for his total lack of caring for others, maybe sociopathy, a love of climbing chaos ladders. Ladders, ladders. I can't say it the same way Aiden Gillian does, and his lifelong obsession of Catelyn Tully. Today we'll be digging a little deeper into the history of how Baelish, how Littlefinger compares and contrasts with his ancestors. Some tinfoil about that, and what the future holds for the House of the Titan's Head and the Mockingbird. Uh, just so you guys know, this is a topic suggested by my newest seneschal level patron uh, ramona z who was in the chat earlier uh, thank you again very much for your support ramona and i hope you enjoy your chosen topic there are patron levels where you can do this kind of thing where you suggest a topic or like a bad theory for me to break down or something like that and we can figure something out i can do a stream or a video on it this is for you ramona this is yours and as usual like subscribe do all the youtube things uh, they really do help with the mysterious YouTube algorithms that govern all of YouTube and determine whether or not anybody sees anything. If you want to support me on my channel, obviously you can go to patreon.com slash JoeMagician, super chats. Um, I don't think I have any PayPal links handy, but yes, those are available. Actually, is there gonna be a Nauticast uh reread? Um I don't have any plans of doing a reread on the Song of Ice and Fire. I've been on other reread podcasts, so it's I've been on um Obsidian Knights, not a cast. Girls Gone Canon. Um, so, if you're looking for me doing rereads, we'll probably do that stuff. Although, I am working on um, sort of doing rereads on George's other works uh, for patron-only episodes. The upcoming ones, Meat House Man. That one's about seven pages long at this point. I'm dangerously approaching the point where. The length of the analysis is equal to the length of the story. That's how that goes. So I wasn't really going to talk about this because I, you know, I was, oh, am I going to be on Nauticast again? Uh probably at some point. Um Jeff and Emmett are lovely guys and they enjoy having me on. And I enjoy ripping Stannis a new one for their for their audience. Uh but yeah. Today we're going to talk about House Baelish, but um, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but um just a quick detour. George released the new Nauta blog today. Most of the time his blogs are not worth talking about in terms of like the larger fandom, Song of Ice and Fire, that kind of stuff. Most of the time they're talking about like wild cards or the train he's buying or all these other kind of weird things. But today he released a Winds of Winter update one, kind of like the one I, uh, I talked about in my last video, uh, Dance of the Dragons and also Engerm's update. So it looks like... He has been working on particular chapters. He's been uh, writing about Tyrion, Samuel Tarly, Melisandre, uh, Victorian Greyjoy, and Arya again. And also talking about his um, self-imposed isolation up on his mountain cabin. In case you don't know, Martin has essentially isolated himself up on a cabin to try and just burn through winds of winter and also stay safe from COVID. Weird detail that apparently he lives with his assistants like two weeks at a time. They come up to the cabin and stay with him. That's who we, all he hangs out with. And then they leave and another one comes in. He calls it his writer's retreat. <laughs> I do love the detail too that he bought the house across the street from his in order to be his writing retreat. And then that wasn't working. So he then bought another writing retreat. So he's got two mountain retreats yet. Yeah, I did not describe his breakfast, sadly. A lot of interesting stuff in these chapters. Samuel Tarly is in Old Town at this point, I believe, so that could uh, tie in with Euron stuff. You know, Emmett's Wet Dreams about uh, the Krakens coming to destroy the city, the Squishers rising from the depths. Tyrion will obviously have a really cool POV on the Battle of Fire. Uh, also, interactions with Danny. He seems almost certain to interact with her at some point, and he's already put one Targaryen, if you consider him that, on a suicidal pack, so that he's visiting Tyrion is. Interesting in that sense, So you think about the larger plot. Uh, let's see here. Victorian again, Battle of Fire stuff. I guess we're going to see maybe three POVs on that whole Battle of Fire and um, maybe a fourth of Danny returning. That would be super interesting. I would like De- Tyrion to get out of his super depressive phase at some point. So I'm excited for that one. But the one I'm most excited about, I was talking about on Twitter, is the Melisandre chapter um, or whatever chapters he's working on for. I was on Radio Westeros like a month or two ago, I think like two months at this point and we were talking about like how many chapters Melisandre is going to have and I said like two or three but the most interesting part of those chapters is going to be that she's the only one left at the wall. John is next level dead, Samwell is in Old Town, Um, so any action that's going to be happening in the Winds of Winter around Castle Black will be through Melisandre's POV and I'm excited to see that he's finally that he's working on that part of the story because When you think about it conceptually, it's got to be like one of the hardest parts that he's going to write. It's going to be Melisandre in the middle of chaos. That's presumably the only POV he's got, unless we're talking about a a John in Ghost POV, which seems definitely on the table with his wolf writing before. Um, I guess if you can call it that wolf writing, (laughs) maybe Bran, maybe Bran will see through Mormon's Raven or something that that would be pretty cool. But presumably Melisandre will be the only human eyes seeing what's happening after John's death. And the show example tells us that she'll be the one to bring him back from the dead. I don't know if that's going to be necessarily true in the books, but definitely her the way she's being used for high magic, the way she kind of sees John as her patron at this point with Stannis gone, invites the idea that Melisandre will be very motivated to bring the Lord Commander back from the dead if she can. Speaking of, there is Ramona in the chat. Uh, she says, I am very grateful for your high quality. For the high quality of your streams george should also be grateful you keep us busy while he's hanging with vic and ty yeah um again thanks so much for signing up for patreon ramona this one's yours yeah i think i also just think like you should go check out the not a blog post just not for like wins a winner update which is super interesting as a song of ice and fire fans but also like his state of mind what his life is like at this point it kind of makes sense to me that he's been writing samwell and Tyrion because he sounds um He sounds pretty isolated, sounds pretty lonely, sounds kind of um, down in the dumps, which is sort of where Sam and Tyrion came from in his brain. Those are like his, uh, those are the kind of characters he pours his worst feelings into, Um, you know, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of isolation, feelings of being an outsider. So if he's writing those chapters, it's probably coming from this sort of place, which I find interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Good call. Chrissy of Oldstones. Slam that like button. We got ninety, 118 here, 50 likes. Remember, we get to 150 likes. That hat's going on. 175. That one's going on. Yeah, Garam Hat today, folks. Yeah, yeah I, he released a, a blog post. If I if I knew this was coming, I might have just done an entire stream about that. But we—that's what I prepared for. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here today to talk about House baelish So, with all of that out of the way, let's let's talk about Peter Baelish and how this. Knightly House from the Vale went from basically peasantry in Westeros to controlling an entire kingdom and owning the largest castle in the known world in Harrenhal, although it's you know next little destroyed and all that other fun stuff. Thanks so much, Aegon the Conqueror. Good job on that one. They've re- they've really come far from humble origins. And um, this is something I actually enjoyed about researching this is I learned a lot more about where the Baelishes came from how peter got his start how we even get to the point where he's in the position he is and that goes back to of course bravos uh this is not something they touched on super amount in the show and i'm sure whatever maester mary is she's excitedly jumping up and down because we're going to talk about bravos house baelish originates with um peter's great-grandfather who was a sellsword in bravos fighting for house Corbray in the Vale. uh the timeline of this is is um Kind of fun to think about where George placed them. So there's four generations, uh, wait, great grandfather, grandfather, father, Peter. So four generations of Baelishes in Westeros. If you assume like 20, 25 years in between each generation, which is pretty normal, then with Peter being born in 268, you end up with his grandfather likely coming to Westeros during the Blackfyre rebellions. Uh, I would actually go as far to say probably the first Blackfire Rebellion. And the reason for this is that during the Blackfire Rebellions, the Corbrays fought on the side of the Targaryens. Uh, they were a loyalist faction. And in particular, Sir Gawain Corbray of the Kingsguard um, had his famous duel on Redgrass Field with Damon Blackfire with his Lady Forlorn Valyrian Steel Sword. Um, the two of them went back and forth for an hour. Like most duels are over in minutes. It is kind of insane to think about how. <laughs> what that duel must have been like among all this chaos. Damon does win, and in an act of mercy, he asks for um Sir Gwen, who's also of the Kingsguard, to be taken from the battlefield and spared um for noble reasons, I guess. And I'm wondering if this is maybe where this Bravosi sellsword, the ba- of the Baelishes, proves his worth to the Corbrays and the Veil vale Lords. Um Mostly because this is really the only time throughout any of the Blackfire Bones we really hear about the deeds of House Corbray. They kind of disappear from the narrative afterwards. It's around Gwayne that um, that this happens, and given the the timing, it would it would make a lot of sense. You know, when you're talking about a massive civil war in Westeros, the Blackfires versus the Targaryens, you would need a lot of soldiers, and be hiring sellswords left and right, it would totally make sense that um, the Corbrays would reach out across the narrow sea to Bravos to get some sellswords. If you look at the map, they're actually, Bravos and the Fingers are the closest parts to each other and the Corbrays are the Lord of the Fingers, more or less part of it. Yeah, and we don't really hear much else about House Corbray. So if this Baelish, the sellsword had something to do with Redgrass Field. If he was one of those that saved uh, Gwen Corbray, if he made a good uh, impression of himself on Redgrass Field, you can imagine why this random sellsword went from just being a hired arm to being a part of the Corbray family. Well, not their family, but their household anyway. That's what ends up happening. Uh, From what we understand, the sellsword basically joins the house of of, uh, the Corbrays. Somehow he proved his worth and loyalty. Um, the easiest connection is probably maybe Bron. That's probably the um, what we should be thinking about here. Nobody sellswords swords that found their way into a noble house seemingly permanently. That sort of thing happens all the time throughout history relatively, well, throughout history, but it's relatively rare, especially for uh, what we're talking about with the Baelishes, where they were immigrants from uh, Bravos. That kind of thing is much more uncommon, so this particular sellsword must have been exceptional in some way to make the Corbrays keep them around. Oh, Sophie B. in the chat, I wonder if the Baelish, the Sellsword, had been a water dancer concerning Peter's own physical stature. Absolutely. It could very well be like a serial Pharrell kind of figure, somebody that absolutely proved their worth within the veil and decided to stay. That's one of the things that, um, this, this shows that it was more of a two-sided relationship. They were hired to come to Westeros. They were hired to come to fight for presumably, presumably the Targaryens and the Corbrays. But when the war was over, they didn't just take their money and go home to Bravos. This Baelish decided, I'm going to stay here in the Vale, which is quite a choice. I mean, when you consider the cultures of Bravos and you consider the culture of the Vale, I mean, they are radically different. The only thing they really have in common is that, that they have kind of a similar sort of coldish uh, climate. Most of the time, that's about it. The Vale of Arryn is almost like an elven kingdom in Westeros, and Bravos is more like a, you know, like a, a sort of like a trade city or something like that. It's lots of people coming and going, a lot of fun, um, a focus on focus on the water and trade. Uh, the we get the stories of the water dancers fighting each other in the streets. That's nothing like the Vale, which is super proper and very very uh, fantasy medievalish. I would say. <laughs> So there must have been some kind of connection that, that happened between this great, great this great grandfather and as well Lord Corbray. Right? Just a little side note about this: it kind of makes you wonder what this guy was like because we know that Peter Baelish and also Peter Baelish's father perform much the same thing on Lords and Westeros. Uh, Peter's father made a big impression on Lord Hoster and used that to advance himself. Peter Baelish does that with the Arryns and the Lannisters. They're able to charm their way. Outside of their um, their social strata, they're able to essentially make friends of higher lords and use that to their advantage. So perhaps there's some sort of that in this figure. Not only may he have been a great sellsword, but also um, somebody that made fast friends with the corporations in some way. Yeah, it's uh, it seems very much like Venice. Good call. Oh yeah, it must have also been a very generous offer um, to make this bravosi stay in the Vale and giving up bravos, giving up his home. Um, or maybe the guy had nothing to go back to in Braavos, which is, could very well be the, the case. Um, we don't hear anything about them. There's no tales of House Baelish back in Braavos from the POVs we see there, so it may be that this was this guy's only chance to make it in the world and to seize the opportunity taking advantage of Lord Corbray's like for this guy. Again, very much like Littlefinger, when the opportunity is presented his great grandfather jumped for it and then we get to his grandfather now we what we we don't really know exactly the timeline for this but somewhere in here um the bailishes were granted uh the lands on the fingers but also we learned that Littlefinger's grandfather was knighted knighted in the faith of the seven which um which tells you quite a bit that this bravosi family was willing to or this particular person was willing to convert basically to the faith of the seven to become a knight you have to be anointed with the holy oils it's being a knight is being not everybody takes the the religious part very seriously but they don't typically knight people outside their own religion so whatever the baelish's uh, religion was this grandfather was willing to give it up to become a knight in westeros and that's that's a very, very fast transition from wanting, from being a bravosi into trying to be a veil man. This may indicate that this child was born and raised in the Vale, and that to the culture he was raised in, unlike his father. And it's at this point the he also took this is kind of an odd thing about learning about House Baelish as they try to integrate his immigrants into the Vale. Um, he takes the head of the Titan of Bravos with its flaming eyes on a light green field as his sigil and that's that's such an unusual choice but it also indicates obviously that he had did some exceptional service for lord Corbray. maybe this was a favor being paid off for a favor being paid off to his father for whatever he did during the blackfire rebellions this could have been during another blackfire rebellion there were other battles other wars um maybe the third blackfire rebellion or something like that i i was thinking about this while i was reading Somewhere in the world, while Dunkin' Egg is happening, um, there are the members of House Baelish running around, which is kind of fun. I wonder if, like, George toyed with the idea of having a Baelish show up in one of the, um, one of the jousts, uh, like the mystery knight. This would have been uh, probably around the time frame when that young man, um, was knighted, or at least when he was growing up. Oh, um, super chat here from, um... I'm gonna pronounce that Vladimir Raskin I think that's rush Russian somethings Uh, what would be the origin of Littlefinger's intelligence political wisdom could it be he acquired it from someone or something it does seem likely with just how quickly this family rose from being sellswords to where Littlefinger is that intelligence was a trait of or a um, an important part of House Baelish it is extraordinarily hard to go from sellsword to knight, it's extremely hard to go from knight to landed knight, there's all sorts of hedge knights out there. And then to go from even a landed knight to a lordly person like Littlefinger is not something that is done easily. It's It, it shows massive amounts of intelligence, ambition and political maneuvering to be able to do that because you don't just have to be a good knight, you don't have to just be a good fighter, you have to do it in such a way that your Lord finds out about it and and is willing to reward you for it. Yeah. I think there is definitely an idea that this family from Bravos is one that is very intelligent and also very good at marketing themselves and making sure that their services are not unrewarded. Thanks so much for the super chat though. Yeah, I agree. Sophie B. It is kind of unusual that the Baelishes were so willing just one generation away to completely give up their religion. The it would be very hard for. Like, if you asked a northerner to give up their religion for the faith of seven, or likewise, something from the faith to convert to the old gods, either the faith of the seven had a very big impact on this grandfather, or it shows again his ambition that he was willing to give up at least part of his bravosi identity in order to, to advance himself. Yeah, uh, Isabel uh, Lamego, if you have to imagine Braun, really Braun. Yeah, we're talking basically um, Littlefinger is like, the great grandson of Braun, basically. I think that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, although you didn't have to be a strict adherent, but you would have to probably convert to become a knight. But there's, you can tell that there's some sort of uh, dissonance within this character because when you look at his sigil, the Titan of Bravos, that is, this character is becoming a knight. He's integrating himself into Vale culture. He's very much trying to uh, make his way in this new place to his family. But also he's not he's trying not to let go of his past and in that we see the the sigil of the titan of bravos um so that everyone knows when they ride against him in the lists, when this guy uh, fights against you they are looking at you know the titan of bravos itself there, he doesn't really want to let go of that aspect of himself or at least an homage to his father yeah it's a very fierce sigil it's one that's supposed to probably inspire dread, it's angry, it's got fiery eyes, it would be intimidating. So I think this tells you that although the Baelish's seem to be very intelligent, uh, they were very much in these two generations trying to trade on their fierceness in battle and trying to play up the idea that they are these like bravosi, water dancer, fierce warrior types. That's that's the message this wants to put across. But it's also um, something important for the founding of the family because Wherever House Baos goes from here, from after being knighted, clearly uh, Littlefinger's grandfather wanted everyone, for however long they lasted, to remember that they are bravosi, the Titan of Bravos. That this is their origins. To never let that go, it will be with them as long, as forever. They as for as long as they go. Well, in theory. Thanks, Peter. Thanks about that one. Uh, but this also kind of maybe tells you about the backstory of the Baelishes and Bravos, because the Titan of Bravos is pretty generic. That's not like a a thing particular to any one person. That's something that the whole of Bravos has. It, it would I was trying to think of a comparison. I think it would be kind of like if you took like the Statue of Liberty as your as your sigil. it's It's a symbol of a culture. It's a symbol of a city. It's not really one person's thing. This may tell you that they didn't have much when they from where they came from Bravos and may inform why this family made the decision to stay in the Vale to be to join the faith of the Seven apparently to become knights instead of water dancers I guess there is a history obviously with them in Bravos but not like an important one like these these were probably not people that had a lot of means back where they came from otherwise they would have taken the money and go home the veil isn't exactly awesome it also speaks to uh kind of like the idea of them being uh, fierce in battle being a fierce guardian someone to be feared you know inspire dread which is kind of funny when you think about peter baelish as a character but this is what his father what his grandfather and his great-grandfather were going for they wanted to be known as the great father uh, the great fighters they clearly were kind of left turn on on that one that one did not continue let's see here oh good point from the chat um Nile uh, 001, only uh, when a relatively large group moves to a new society do they keep their religion across for generations. That's true. Uh, this would be um, a father and son that were very isolated within the veil. So you can see how you might want to convert to the local culture and religion just to try and fit in a little bit, a little bit more. It also Their schedule also doesn't feature uh, the fingers or where their castle is eventually, or their castle, I mean their keep is eventually is. So I would guess the sigil came before the land. A lot, of, a lot of people tend like, you could think like maybe like a hand or like, a, I don't know, something to do with the veil and the fingers. Rather, they chose to um, instead celebrate their Bravosi heritage. And again, I just wanted to point out, this is astoundingly quick upward mobility for, in particular, foreign sellsword in Westeros, where they tend to be pretty xenophobic and they don't, they don't like foreigners at all. To go from sellsword to knight to landholder in two generations is almost unheard of that uh, the only character we see kind of like that happening is sort of Braun. Braun is at least a native westerosi who's uh, like experienced in this culture who grew up in it this is quite something for the bailishes to be going to rising so high so fast usually um especially when it seems like they came from maybe um, a poor background or one without means that it, they couldn't buy their way into land. They couldn't buy their way into nobility. They had to earn it through the existing lords. And again, when you look at the Blackfire rebellions, that kind of makes sense. It's, it's really interesting thinking about the fact that the Baelishes owe everything <laughs> to Damon Blackfire Rebellion, that one way or another, both these two generations seem to have been embroiled in the Blackfire conflicts, especially because it, it created a need. It meant that they had to hire out, they had to find help. But it also means, in particular, that a lot of people died throughout these rebellions. A lot of soldiers would have died, a lot of knights, probably a lot, many smaller families and knightly houses may have been wiped out during these, um, or exiled. The other part is exile. And if you're a lord after you win the Blackfyre rebellions, well, the Targaryens and the Loyalists were not stingy about rewarding those who stayed on their side and, you know. Getting rid of those who, who sided with Dame, and that creates this uh, this power vacuum where a lot of people like the Baelishes could also step into it. And that's where we get to sort of the <laughs> the drear fort as Littlefinger talks about it. So I'm guessing it's around this time, maybe through his grandfather, that the Baelishes are rewarded with a tiny, tiny tower on the smallest of the fingers in the Vale, uh, which belong mostly to House Corbray. Littlefinger describes it, <laughs> to show you exactly what he thinks of his heritage. Uh, he says, "And there it stands, miserable as it is, my ancestral home. It has no name, I fear. A great lord seat ought to have a name, wouldn't you agree? Winterfell, the eerie River Run, those are castles. Lord of Harrenhal now, that is a sweet ring to it. But what was I before? Lord of sheep shit and master of the Drearfort? It lacks a certain something." And that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. The, the Dreer Fort, as it's known, is barely exists. It's, it hosts a small village of just like a dozen families. Uh, let's say a, a lot of sheep, a peat bog, a hermit's cave. There's no harbor, even though it's on the fingers, so you can't really even develop it from trade. It's very small also. Um, from the POV, apparently you only need half a day to ride from one end to the other. So even though there are a lot of opportunities opened up, and the Corbrays were looking to reward the bailishes for some sort of service between the first two generations, it apparently wasn't enough to give them like an actual real lordship. Instead, they give him, they give them something like Standfast. It's a very small land. It's um, nothing going on economically. It is just like, yeah, um, I guess we can give you land, but we're not, what do we have available? <laughs> oh God, remember that keep on the fingers? Uh, yeah, you guys can have that. You can imagine that it was um, not a gift that was the sort of thing to get excited about, but in a way it is, because it, it jumps them again in another social strata. This is going from sellsword, which is uh, may as well be peasantry, to a knight, which is a little bit higher up. But then landed knight is um, a very important step up in terms of rights, in terms of what you can do in the culture what you can aspire to uh Laura seven and in the chances we're talking about Baelish a family took a huge leap uh for moving forever to westeros my question is what terrible thing did they do in bravos that they're running from um that's that's also a possibility maybe george will expand that as we see um more from peter if he relates more of his family history i'd expect that they just felt like they had no opportunities back in bravos and this was all they had this was like the best option it's like I could go back to Bravos, spend this money, and not really go anywhere, or see what maybe taking a shine to life in the Vale among the Corbrays, maybe a promise of always taking care of him, a steady life would be very attractive maybe to uh, a cell sword water dancer. Uh, yeah, and the castle also doesn't have a name, uh, Guilty Undertaker points out, you think somebody would give the castle a name. Well, it's not even a castle. It is basically just a watchtower. It's. Um, I was thinking about comparisons. And it's kind of like how that Tower of Joy is described. It is just a random watchtower or standfast, uh, which we see from your uh, Sir Eustace Osgray. That's basically all it is. it's It's one tower. There's a couple of floors. uh you can defend it a little bit, but nobody's going to attack it. And it seems like it was just sort of made to stop pirates in the in the long past that has been converted for the bailishes. N- nobody may have held it for a long time. But I would expect that maybe this was like, an older landed knight who died in in the black fire rebellions and there was like um here you go you guys can have this so yeah it's (laughs) it's like i said it's kind of unclear when this happened um i I, i'm gonna guess the grandfather that earned a knighthood later earned the land um although the irony is that in balish's hatred of this land is that He bemoans how this lone tower is stupid and awful and nowhere near as awesome as Winterfell or River Run or Cashley Rock or all these amazing things. But kind of what he's failing to realize is that most of those houses started out with maybe a similar story to his own family. Um, And their initial holdings were probably no more than this. Like Winterfell, when you look at it, it says the oldest keep is the first keep. And then it was uh, built around the weirwood and then the cave structure. So like the difference between Winterfell where it started and where House Baelish is is really not that different. It is just over time, the family um, invested in itself, built it up, um, garnered power, and turned what were pretty lackluster holdings when they got them into seats of power. Like even Cashley Rock, that was once just a mountain with some caves. Kind of funny when you're thinking about Littlefinger and he's like, Oh, why? Why does? Why wasn't I born highborn? Why wasn't I given all these things? So it's like Littlefinger has been given more opportunities than many, many others. Not where he wants to be. He wants to be like the Tullys. But this is still like an amazing, amazing gift to be a landed lord of any kind in Westeros. It is such a huge um, step up. Uh, Sophie B in the chat says, uh, "Those ancient paramounties... Our investments have matured over literally thousands of years and he complains not having them only four generations in which informs Baelish's lack of respect for history and also his amazing ambition that he wants to have in his life that does not see it that way. I mean I'm not going to go out here and say that this tower and this land is awesome but it's also not what most people in Westeros have which is next to nothing or literally nothing. He calls it the Drear Fort. Yeah, all castles start off that way. Um, I also find it interesting when you're thinking about how he bemoaned that his home on the fingers is so terrible and it sucks and he hates it basically. And he is so, so, so wealthy and he has amassed so much power that he just wants to completely leave it behind. He could invest in this land. He could maybe try to acquire more in the area, especially now that Lysa... Is um, Wiser is the lady of the veil, vale, and he has a good relationship with the core Like, Littlefinger could be trying to improve his what he has, and instead, just completely seems to want to write it off. I don't know what kind of um, what kind of industry you could probably build in the fingers and the veil, vale, but there's definitely an, an, a path forward for Littlefinger where he tries to actually become a great lord of the veil. Vale. And he completely just does not want to do that. He wants to take it in his own way. Yeah, he's a cloud chaser. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Isabel. Uh, he wants to choose to take something from someone else rather than invest in his own land. says a lot about him. Exactly. Um, that he doesn't, he doesn't consider the hard work and uh, the amazing rise of House Baelish and the Vale as something to be grateful for. He sees it as a hindrance that they didn't go high enough for him. make his life better there's ways he could have i'm sure um a lot of that land is worth nothing maybe he could have bought it anyway he could there's things he could have done um and then we get to littlefinger's father uh we don't i don't i don't think we learn his name Uh, but this is another this is a story very similar to the previous two generations of the house baelish which is um that a blackfire rebellion uh, essentially allows another jump forward in the family and that is the War of the Nine Penny Kings, um, more or less the last Blackfire Rebellion with Maylis the Monstrous. Apparently, according to George, uh, he answered a question about this in 2005 and a supposed to Martin because they were asking about how did Littlefinger uh, from this really minor house from the Vale ended up fostering at the Toys? and George's answer is that, Peter's father and Hoster met up during the War of the Ninepenny Kings and became friends. Littlefinger's father later cashed in on that friendship for a favor to get his son fostered at Riverrun, something that is that almost never happens. The fostering of someone that small to another region to a Lord Paramount is highly unusual. And again, it it probably speaks to Littlefinger's political prowess, um, those of his grandfather and his great-grandfather that this Lord Baelish... I guess he would have been maybe Sir Baelish, Lord Baelish. I guess he would have been called Lord Baelish. Um was able to again meet a high lord, impress himself on him, become close friends, and then exploit that friendship for another jump forward in social standing, so that Peter, instead of being the Lord of the fingers, or the the littlest finger basically, and um trying to work within the veil, instead gives him an enormous jump forward, an enormous head start, in that he's allowed to get to know and grow up with the Tully family and presumably get to know many great lords, courtly culture, and get a world class education and trying to be essentially higher than they are. Again, the ambition of the family comes through here. Again, thank you, Blackfires. <laughs> Peter Baelish owes everything to the Blackfires. Continually, over and over and over again, House Baelish is built on the back of Blackfire rebellions and them. Proving themselves in war, using that, impressing a lord, um, gaining more power for themselves. Oh, we're 184 reviewers. Thank you guys so much. Uh, 102 lights. Remember 48 more? Put on the hat. If you haven't subscribed to do all those things. <laughs> yeah, he kind of got a scholarship. He got a scholarship out of it. Um, it, he essentially got to, he basically got the life of a high lord growing up, which is. Um, informs a lot of Littlefinger's decision making and his intelligence later in life, but he, this is what he grew up around. He didn't grow up around the sheep and the peat bogs. He grew up obviously with the, with the Tully's and hosher Tully in particular, who is a fairly ruthless political mastermind to himself. So you can imagine that, um, like people wonder what hosher Tully was like, um, how did he behave? Well, maybe Peter's a little bit like that. Maybe that's where he kind of got his political scheming and his sort of ruthlessness for trying to advance his own cause and that of his of his house. Hoster seems to be cut from the same sort of cloth. Kind of funny that um, that's not probably what you'd expect, but it's probably true. They spend their money on being the right side of wars. You know that is also true. I mean, you have to imagine that the Baelishes had little parts in those Blackfyre rebellions. So essentially, when these wars came up. They just gambled their futures on it and said, all right, well, we'll just be loyalists and God help us. I hope we make it a uh, super chat here from, um, vampress 99. Uh, thank you so much for the, uh, for the five bucks. Super generous. Uh, war creates chaos and <laughs> it's chaos is a ladder. Exactly. The ladder the Baelish has climbed up was war, which when you think about Littlefinger's current plan, seems like more, it's a family plan and less than something he came up with. Just a different way of fighting, I guess. Um, let's see here. Yeah, um, I also wanted to point out again, you can probably imagine this relationship being something like Bronn and Tyrion between uh, Baelish's father and Hoster Tully, or perhaps uh, Bronn and Jaime from the show. That one probably may be closer to the truth because Jaime actually rewards Bronn in a, in a much bigger way than um, Tyrion, although Tyrion promised to. And you can also, again, see probably shades of Littlefinger's behavior in his father that the, his abilities with manipulating lords, his flattery, his um, proving himself in ways that uh, his lords will notice being smooth talkers, being popular, making themselves invaluable to the highborn, it seems to be sort of the House Baelish family plan. You know, find powerful lord, become friends with him, prove your worth, and then extract something of that seems very small from them but actually ends up being quite big a knighthood is very is an enormous step forward for most people so is getting land so is being fostered with a great lord so they've done an amazing job um jumping forward so that that's i think that was that's very interesting for thinking about how george wrote this backstory and how it relates the little finger that little finger sort of seems like the sort of person that is individually unique and super intelligent and nobody like him in the world but then you kind of look at the rest of his family and their history and it's like well no he's kind of just running back the same plan he's doing the same things they did it's just that instead of proving himself on the battlefield instead of being instead of being a guy with the titan of bravos on his shield he's instead decided a different way that he can make himself be noticed basically oh um question here from flinted steel i am broke so can't see the chat don't worry about it uh but do you see any connection between house balish was founded and Tyrion deals with the second sons about lands and gold absolutely you could definitely see that kind of relationship finding a lord down on their luck or someone in a time of need and getting to promise more than they probably would have otherwise but yeah definitely um Tyrion's relationship to sell swords is probably identical to the Baelish's uh relationship to the Corbrays and the aaron's uh, so th- this is where we get to the uh part that um my patron uh Ramona uh wanted to talk about and she has some tin foil uh specifically about uh house Baelish and where they came from in Bravos. Um so the basics of it is that they wonder if the Baelishes are more than they seem, if maybe there's something a little dragonish in their backstory. Um so I'm just gonna read it out here. It says I assume you're aware of the theories starting way back in the 80s, recently confirmed by um, geneticists accordingly to which all people of European heritage are descending from Charlemagne. Basically, true. Also I think um, William the Conqueror. As well as um, every individual who's able to have children around the 10th century in Europe. Um, I suspect Gurm was quite fond of the theories as everybody in the Song of Ice and Fire seems to have a drop or two of Targaryen blood. Starting from there, I'd love to see a take on Littlefinger's Targaryen lineage. I have reasons to believe he is the descendant of Elena Targaryen and, and Aegon IV, through uh, Viserys Plum, perchance also a descendant of Aegon's Bravosi bastards. Um, <laughs> yes, put on your tinfoil hats. This is definitely a tinfoil hat thing. Um, so these are their arguments, uh, Ramona's arguments. They say both Elena and Peter were small for their age as children, both very good with counting coppers. Peter's mother is named Elaine, which kind of sounds like Elena. Ah, uh, Peter owns a plum clo- coat. Elena's hair has a particular gold strike. Brown Ben Plum, a known descendant of hers, has a st- has a salt and pepper striped beard, and Peter has gray threads running through his hair. Boy, I guess I'm a secret Targaryen too with that one. I got all that gray hair. The above mentioned uh, Ben has mixed Bravosi and Westerosi heritage. Uh, one of Aegon's Bravosi bastards is called Balerion. The first Baelish to arrive in Westeros could have been a less fortunate son of him. So basically, the um. The theory goes that maybe some sort of down-in-their-luck bastard of Aegon IV became a sellsword and made their way back to Westeros. That is, that is some tinfoil. <laughs> um, so for one thing, this is a pretty cramped timeline for this to happen. If we're assuming like, um, general generational time, we're looking at the first Baelish coming to Westeros during the first Blackfyre Rebellion, which would have been about... To 190 to 200 um, AC. <clears throat> so you're assuming that any child of this generation would have had to immediately have children and in order for them to become this sort of sellsword running to Westeros. There's also sort of the problem that um, the Bravosi bastards are the Black Pearl and um, her, her children after her. Which have uh, very dark, um, you know, Summer Islandish features, which Littlefinger has none of. It doesn't mean, though, that it can't happen. Where obviously we see examples like with Bael or Breakspear, along with uh, nettles, where Targaryens, even within the same family with the same parents, can swap between being super pale and being and having uh, darker um, features. So doesn't doesn't exactly rule it out. That does not rule it out. Um, <laughs> So the, the main problem again is the timeline. If we're talking about when Aegon would have had a bastard and then with the Black Pearl and then the Black Pearl having a child, which Ramon is assuming it would be um, Balerion Otheris, which is the name of uh, Black Pearl's family is Otheris. So that would be a very quick turnaround on another kid. Um, but there is one thing in this favor and that is, this is not something I've really talked about so far, but Baelish is a really unusual name especially coming out of Bravos. There's obviously a lot of connections between, uh, Peter Baelish and Bael the Bard of, um, Northern legend. But if you're talking about in particular Valyrian names and Targaryen names, the Bael name is very prominent. Um, you obviously have Bael Targaryen, Baelor Targaryen, Baelon Targaryen, and also uh, a the black dread who, um, the black Pearl's son is named after. Yes. Also bail the demon. So that, their name is Baelish, it, it kind of makes you wonder if George is making a secret joke about perhaps there being some kind of Valyrian descent or Targaryen descent within their family. The A E that that particular that language, I mean, those two letters next to each other usually means Valyrian in the um, in the history. So, yeah, you know, that's something in its favor. That if you're talking about like what we would be looking for, I think the names are very interesting. I don't know. My main criticism of this, of the tinfoil theory, is that secret ambitious Targaryens are very, very rarely <laughs> shy about saying who they are. In fact, we usually get the other way that people claim to be Targaryens or Valyrians when they are not. And we don't hear anything about that from House Baelish. Um, they didn't take on their sigil, it's just the Titan of Bravos. It's not like a black pearl uh, with uh, harkening back to the Otheris. It's not anything related to a, a dragon for the Targaryens or the Valyrians it's just the Titan of Bravos. it's possible maybe they are in like some weird way but if you're aware of it I think you would try and play it up well on the other side of this the fact that they were able to so quickly integrate themselves into Westerosi culture may may imply that Peter's great-grandfather knew something of Westerosi culture before he jumped ship so I, I guess that's an argument in favor of it but you know there's a lot of Valyrian names out there that aren't necessarily Targaryen. It's like um, they're just a small subset. We know that there are loads of Valyrians still out there throughout the Valyrian daughters, um, especially in Braavos. It's kind of a melting plot culture. It doesn't have to be necessarily a relation to Aegon the Fourth or the Black Pearl or Elena Targaryen for maybe the the very slight intelligent Baelish's, um who very quickly rose through their culture. And through Westerosi culture to be related to a Valyrian, uh, that could very well be true. Especially since uh, Balish does not particularly look like the rest of the Bravos who we meet. So, although they've been for four generations breeding in the Vale, so that's not really that surprising. Oh yes, also the Longwaters. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of ways for Valyrian blood to come out of Bravos. Um, the Targaryens were not quite a lot of their um, of their bastards and such made their way to Esso, So totally possible. Um, if it's true, I would guess they were not aware of it. Um, although it does set up a really interesting thing if Varys is a Blackfire is actually true, because this would be super interesting if, uh, Baelish and Varys are enemies and they're actually like a Targaryen and Blackfire fighting each other without really knowing it. That would be, that would be a kind of thing George would probably revel. <laughs> um, and there's also the idea that, um, the Peter himself has bought brothels and he's a skilled merchant so you know it could be like if he's connected to the black pearl who is known as a famous courtesan that would be something interesting for george to play on i don't think so um i appreciate the tinfoil but you know tinfoil is fun so let's grab a uh a question from we're about an hour in so let's grab a question from uh patreon and uh maybe a few from the chat and then we'll finish up the rest of the outline uh, Eric F, a frequent uh, patron questioner. Thank you so much, Eric, for all your good questions. Uh, did uh, Baelish fa- face any penalty from Hoster impregnating Lysa? Uh, it appears... So we're going to get to this later, um, but yes, Littlefinger didn't impregnate Lysa. She was forced to drink Moon Tea to um, abort the child, and then he was sent home, essentially, after he healed up. And it seems like Hoster's punishment for Littlefinger was essentially to banish him back to the fingers. And remove him from Catelyn and Lysa and Edmure his only friends in the world and essentially say we're done with you um I don't know if he maybe it was sort of a little punishment that Hoster even let the duel happen with Brandon and Littlefinger um you can maybe see that in sort of like if you if you let Brandon Stark duel Peter Baelish you know he's gonna get his ass kicked so very possibly that Hoster let it happen hoping maybe Peter would die or be injured like uh, learn his place sort of thing and then sends him back to the Vale so that seems to be kind of the punishment Hoster's punishment seems to be denial of the highborn life he was living and just like get out of my face kid Um, but also recognizing that Littlefinger was only like 14 or 15 so maybe if he was older he would have had him killed but perhaps he thought this was like we're done with you that kind of thing uh, Kate K from, uh, from the patron Slack asked given the information he currently has in the status of the world how is he achieving his endgame Littlefinger's endgame is something that's debated a lot in the fandom and um, I was going to get into that a little bit more in um, just a few minutes further down in my outline but his, out, his, his endgame is sort of I start to perceive it as a just total destruction of the Tully's and the Starks and himself being above them because he's already gotten his revenge on cat he's already gotten his revenge on hoster and Edmure and lysa and ned stark and brandon stark like those are already done but he's still pushing for something and it seems to be that he wants to essentially upend the feudal structure in which littlefinger is below those families he wants to become a lord paramount he wants to, like, I think he wants to have a member of House Stark and House Tully essentially get on their knees and beg for his help and um, be in a position where nobody could ever treat him like that again. It seems to be that Littlefinger, like, there, there have been some very out there theories that, like, Littlefinger wants Hall because it has a lot of weirwoods and weir- and Littlefingers maybe magical. I, I don't think that's true. I think very much we're supposed to see Littlefinger as um somebody who face particular traumas in his young age that he never really got over and is continually trying to right that wrong that was done to him. Uh, Sarah Charles says revenge for the duel. Yeah. Um, I think that's correct. Not only revenge for the duel, but revenge, um, revenge for Catelyn rejecting him. Yeah. I I don't, I don't, I don't buy the low finger has like a weirwood, like, magic supernatural plan to him he seems very much a a worldly villain not a supernatural villain Steven Stark uh, also from the patron slack I believe he's playing Dungeons and Dragons right now is Littlefinger hoarding all that food to simply drive up the price is he saving it to feed an army of cell swords from Braavos? Ah, so this is something that he's been doing um, in the current times where he's been Essentially, hanging onto grain and refusing to sell it to anybody. Oh, okay, there we go. Um, and why is he doing that? Um, I think, in one situation, if he hoards all the grain, that ends up putting him in a position of power as the wars go on, because everybody needs food. And if Littlefinger is the only one that has it, then um, he can charge whatever price he wants for it. Greatly increases his wealth, but also increases his bargaining position with any lords going forwards. Because the main reason for the, the Lannister-Tyrell alliance is their soldiers, but also the fact that they're the breadbasket of Westeros. That they can, um, they can supply their armies and their supply lines for whatever they need to do. And Littlefinger, I think, is trying to essentially mimic that. I don't think he's saving it to feed an army of Solstorch and Bravos. I think Littlefinger has essentially divorced himself entirely from his Bravosi identity. He kind of wants nothing to do with them. I don't think he's part of any kind of like large scale conspiracy theory where he's gonna help the Bravosi invade and take revenge or something like that. It's like there there doesn't seem to be much of a connection between them anymore except for like a mercantile alliance sort of thing and perhaps maybe something with the faceless men, but yeah. I I don't think it's to help the bravosi. I think it is as in all things, it is to help Little Thinker that he's Essentially, coring the market on a scarce, valuable resource. A good point by Luminous Rain. Mercantile lords came out to- came out on top during the French Revolution too. Yeah, holding the food in times of war is a very, very good idea. And Littlefinger, for his many, many faults, is an exceptionally smart um, person and exceptionally and very, very clever about knowing where to place himself in order to be valuable, in order to jump another social strata. Like even when you think about where he started from being just fostered in the veil, that's, that's something that can make you like a courtier for the rest of your life. But Littlefinger instead jumps from that and even an embarrassment and almost dying. And he goes from there to Master of Coin, from Mas- I mean from there to a Customs Officer, from there to Master of Coin, to the Small Council, to being a Lord of Westeros. So that seems to be Littlefinger's whole thing. The, the hoarding of the food is another example of this plan. Yes, many, 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 many faults. Littlefinger is a terrible, terrible person. Um, only Shadowkin says, wasn't he trying to fulfill prophecy somewhere with the wet red-haired daughter in Hall?" No, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that has anything to do with that. I don't think Littlefinger is like trying to acquire skin changer magic or anything like that. I think he likes the red hair because cat had red hair. I think he wants Hall because it's an important, massive castle with history. And he has the money to fix it if he wants to. Um, there's no indication that Oilfinger is like hungry for magic or hungry for prophecy. He's hungry for power. And that's what Harrenhal and the veil vale and with taking Sansa Stark and marrying Toy, totally, that's, that's what those give him. They don't give him like the... I don't think he gives a shit about the idle faces. He cares about the power Harrenhal represents. Oh, super chat here from Amanda, aka the Sputlams. Lambs. Uh, thank you so much for the $5. Very, very generous. Um, hey Matt. I'm trying to do an Amanda impression. I did a bad one. Will Harry the Heir survive the winds of winter? Um, maybe. I don't think I don't think he's gonna survive a dream of spring. Um, it seems the, the Harry the Heir is an impediment to Littlefinger. He's being propped up by the Royce is in the Lord's declarant as an alternative to Littlefinger and Robert Aaron and Lysa. So one way or another, I think Harry the heir is probably not going to make it out alive. He, he just seems like the kind of the, the kind of character that Littlefinger would take a lot of delight in killing or um, bringing, just destroying. In in a lot of ways, I talked about this during my um, the secret children of, of Brandon Stark thing the air is very similar to Brandon in character, he's very similar to him in terms of his sexuality, he's very similar to him in terms of even his position in the culture and his strength, so I would think that Littlefinger would probably see a lot of Brandon and Harry and take a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, joy in destroying, destroying that person. Oh, good point, Ramona. I think Sansa wishes him to fall and break his neck and she's good with foreshadowing deaths. Yeah, Sansa is kind of a foreshadowing machine in that way. I could definitely see that happening. Oh, interesting. That's a good connection, Guilty Undertaker. Littlefinger wants to marry Sansa to him, then cuckold Harry and have him have an accident. Maybe him reliving the relationship between uh, Brandon and Kat, where he wanted to carry on with Kat, even though she was married or going to be married in like secret. bail the Bard again, that kind of thing. Um. I could definitely see that be how he imagines it's going to play out, and it definitely won't. Lil Wenger ain't going to go super well for him. Uh, so let's let's move forward to Peter Baelish's life, um, taking into account his history and his ancestors and what George is telling us about this family. And we find Peter, who is very, very unlike his ancestors in very particular ways. And rather than being sort of the skillful, brave water dancer who made their bones on fighting in wars and, um, probably being sort of tough guys or very honorable, very valuable in sort of a military way. We get Peter who is, he's pretty small. He's pretty short. Um, he doesn't seem to have any prowess with the sword. He doesn't even seem interested in with it. Uh, his mother was Apparently a commoner, perhaps. We only know her name is Elaine, which also gets the weird things. When that's the name that he gave Sansa Stark, creepy, creepy finger shows up. Um, There's no house mentioned for who she is. Again, he's nicknamed Littlefinger, mostly because of well, it's it's kind of a joke on his size, but it's also a joke on where he comes from. Um, The Dreer Fort, as it's called, is on the smallest of the Vale's fingers, so they call him Littlefinger in that way. Uh, Some people have taken that as maybe a joke on his um his sword size as it were which i'm sure would be interesting um oh two super chats in a row um from vampiris99 um 20 dollars total thank you so much um i don't see balish's motivation as getting revenge on catelyn i see that in terms of house tolly and house stark behavior towards sansa as an avatar of catelyn has a different motivation he shows a dissonance between his father Between being a father and potential lover or partner, Baelish wants to rather usurp houses Stark and Tully while trying to imagine and create a way that he can have Catelyn or Sansa. Yeah, I'll get that into in a little bit, but I think um, there is some definitely some part of him that wants revenge on Catelyn in his own way for the rejection that he feels particularly from her. Whether or not it's like... What he wants to do to ned stark i don't think so i think there's there's something very different he has in mind for Catlin and through like you say through sansa the one he sees as Catlin come again there's definitely though some some very complicated feelings with uh, peter towards sansa where he can't seem to decide which role he wants to play for her and in which way he wants to use her to for lack of a better word yeah just stay away from sansa it is gross um is especially because Sansa's age and the power he has over her. There, it, it's basically a power fantasy that he's running through Sansa. He wants power over Sansa in the way that he never had it over Catelyn, I think. But again, thank you uh, thank you for the comments. Um, you can imagine that when we're talking about his Bravosi ancestors, that there may be some source of shame in Peter that he lacks these martial prowess, that the skills that gave his family the leg up in the veil that got them knighted, that got them land, he seemingly does not have it all. He's kind of like an odd duck within the Baelish family. And again with his father, who seemingly fought in the war of Nine penny kings, made a good account of himself, became friends with Hoster Tully, these are things that Littlefinger just doesn't have. It doesn't seem like that was ever in the cards or him. You can maybe see something like the relationship between Randall Tarley and Samuel Tarley between Littlefinger and his father. Maybe not quite as harsh, but clearly, um, (laughs) Littlefinger's father, uh, wanted to have a different life for him than he clearly had sent him off to the Tully's sent him a kingdom away, essentially sent him to a, to boarding school, but you can, you can definitely imagine how his relationship to his ancestors and his father is one of, he doesn't feel a part of them that he feels like they are other people. Although, as I pointed out as we're talking about them, that they probably have more in common than he thinks. It's just that they they do push their advantages in different ways, that kind of thing. Um, oh, only 20, 20, more likes, 192 pe- people watching. We got about um, 40 minutes left, 20 likes right there. Um, put on the uh, put on the Gandalf hat. Uh, so, Littlefinger gets fostered at Riverrun As I talked about earlier, this was a favor from Hoster Tully to Littlefinger's father. And Littlefinger gets raised with the Tully children. He becomes infatuated, ex- like right away, with Catelyn Stark. He sees her, and it's like, that's it. Littlefinger wants to do nothing else in his life than be around and later, as he develops obviously into a teenager, to be with Catelyn Tully. That's the, She is all he wants in the world. But he also was, of course, very good friends with Lysa Tully and also Edmir Tully. Grew up playing games with them. He describes it as kissing games. Um, gets kind of gross, but, um, you know, sometimes this is a thing that kids do, I guess. Um, he <laughs> apparently tries to French them both. Um, tries to give them French kisses. Only Lysa is open to it. Catelyn is not. Um, this one's for you, Maester Mary. Um, we're going to call that his dangerous arbitrage trying to make out with Katelyn Tully, yeah, uh, i yeah, spin the bottle. These were children's games, um, that kind of thing. Um, but he becomes essentially a member of the family. He becomes very close to all of them. Not so much Hoster Tully. We don't hear much about their relationship, but it may have been like, it seems like Littlefinger may have looked up the Hoster in some way because he seems to have adopted his worldview and his way of dealing with politics. Um, but he also becomes close in particular to Brendan Tully, who he sees as his almost like a surrogate father or an older brother figure. That's who he went to when he needed advice. That's who he went to when he was feeling down or things weren't going his way. He would run to Brendan and Brendan would pat him on the head and say, it's all right, Peter. Uh, yeah, Jay Gadsby. Definitely uh, can talk about that. That's actually further down on my dock. You're beating me to it. Jay Gadsby is definitely a character that Littlefinger Fingers very, very like. to the french call french kissing freedom kissing that's what they call it uh so again as we were talking as i was talking about peter falls in love with particularly catelyn tully uh we get the story from catelyn that one time they were um traveling and they stopped at old stones and he and she remembers the time that they played at being duncan prince of dragonflies and jenny of old stones it's it's pretty clear that Catelyn saw this as a harmless memory, but it wasn't harmless for Peter with the difference in their social standings and the fact that he would probably never get the ability to marry somebody like Catelyn Toy, Seeing um, seeing himself and her in sort of the gender-inverted uh, gender version of Duncan the Prince of Dragonflies and Jenny of Oldstones is something that he probably held very dear to his heart and probably still does. That story and that memory is probably very painful for him That. He was not able to to overcome the differences in their upbringing. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I thought we were just playing a game. Well, one of you was playing a game. Catlin was just playing a game. Littlefinger was playing out the future he wants. Um, and this is kind of where we get into what George thinks about Littlefinger, what he thinks about Peter Baelish, where he comes from. And as wait, who said that further up, who said Jay Gatsby? Guilty Undertaker. Um little finger, according to george is very similar to Jay gatsby from the book the great gatsby george answered this question on not a blog a while back uh he got a question about uh, the the kind of obvious obvious comparisons between Jay gatsby and Littlefinger, and he says yes there's a lot of gatsby and little finger book little finger anyway tv little finger is a different sort of creature uh gotta love george making sure that draw the difference between the two characters but yeah little finger in the books is super different than um Aiden Gillian's, Aiden Gillian's. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, his version of Littlefinger in the show, where that's more of like a uh, they call it like a mustache twirling, scheming, obvious villain. But Littlefinger in the books is much more a people pleaser. He very much wants to be harmless. He very much wants to be perceived as helpful and friendly. And he wants to be indispensable to the wealthy and the high lords. And that's sort of what you get from Jay Gadsby, where Gadsby, um, started off with a similar story where he had a crush on Daisy, um, as a, as a younger man, couldn't end up getting her because again, differences in their social stratas. And then Jay spent the rest of his life trying to essentially ascend to her level to attract her back. And He's very much in the vein of these figures and very much like that story of Jay Gadsby and that in particular that they are willing to do immoral or legal things in order to get to that place where they can get back their, the woman that they love that doesn't love them back. Thinking that the pro, this is sort of, <laughs> this is sort of a funny thing, but it's like Littlefinger very much thinks that the problem between him and Catelyn is that, Oh, he's little finger from the veil. And it's like, that's not the problem, dude. <laughs> Santa Via Major says, Jay Gatsby is likable, not creepy or villainous. Um, I think this is an important point, though, that Lilfinger is not exactly Jay Gatsby. He's like him, and um, he shares the basic plot structure. He shares the basic relationship between himself and where he's coming from and where he's aspiring to. But this is sort of a germified version of Jay Gatsby, if you will. Where it's not one to one. George took this basic character who just wanted to be everybody's friend for these lavish parties um, and used that to gain political and social power. But then George twisted it more and made him more murderous, made him more villainous, made him more unlikable. But on the surface, the relationship between most people at court and Littlefinger of the Books is very similar to the way that the people in high society uh, felt about Gatsby. Yeah, it's it's more deconstruction, not a one-to-one. Uh, there was also a really good post by um, the user, I don't know if you guys know, Cantus. Um, I think he's coming up soon on Grey Area's Obsidian Knights podcast, but he's one of the um, really great writers in the Song of Ice and Fire fandom. He's got a lot of great theories, and he brought up the comparison as well between Littlefinger and the story Withering Heights. Um, I'm going to drop that in the chat. I'll probably put it in the description. Um, this is sort of the thing that you guys can read later in your own time I'm not again I'm not super familiar with Withering Heights but this is like an awesome post and it, again uh, it seems like George is calling on this classic literary story and figure in order to make his own version of them oh yeah only Shadow King in the chat says uh, same vein as Count of Monte Cristo yeah that that Count of Monte Cristo might be closer in terms of the revenge fantasies and what he is trying to do with his newfound power bless you Cantus you know all the awesome things yeah, th- this this Littlefinger finger book little finger should be much more understood in those in the idea of these characters George taking a a take on them or deconstructing them rather than the show version, which is just like almost <laughs> almost like Jafar from Aladdin, like just a pure villain who's um who's twirling his mustache and plotting revenge or anybody he's He's a very different kind of character and one that very much wants to be seen in a in a positive light by those around him. So what ends up happening is obviously Littlefinger and Catelyn doesn't end up happening and then at Catelyn's betrothal to Brandon Stark Littlefinger gets um six dances with her the night of her betrothal and then tries to make out with her in front of Brandon Stark in front of Hoster Tully. Doesn't doesn't work Catelyn says no to this Littlefinger responds by getting outrageously drunk, passes out, and the blackfish picks him up and carries him to bed. Um having embarrassed himself thoroughly at Catlin's patrol to what will be a form of future Lord Paramount. This is where some of the weird stuff happens. Um so while Littlefinger is passed out drunk, Lysa Arryn, who of the two Aaron, of the two, I mean Lysa Tully, the one of the Tully sisters actually likes Littlefinger quite a lot, sneaks up and Essentially, just like, I, I, there's no other word for it. She basically just rapes him while he's um, asleep and drunk. He wakes up in the middle of it. He thinks it's Kat. For years later, um, he tells people that he took Kat's maidenhead thinking of this memory, not realizing that because he was drunk, he misidentified which Tully sister it was. Lysa also gets pregnant from this encounter. This whole encounter seems to be what drove the relationship between Hoster Tully and Brendan Blackfish. To the brink and ended up destroying their relationship as brothers because um, of the way Hoster treats Lysa in this in his in these moments. Lysa ends up getting married off to John Aaron in the Vale, and the Blackfish leaves with her and basically never talks to Hoster again afterwards. Um, I imagine they probably fought over the marriage of lisa of Lysa to John Aaron. Not cool. Not nice, Hoster. Um, we got that question earlier about, like, was there revenge taken on Littlefinger by Hoster? Yes, in a way, but there's also definitely seems to be revenge taken on Lysa by her father. That um, he loses, he he just, like, stops caring about her, kind of, and just sees her as a political tool after that point. I guess we are only four more, four more likes. Slam that like button, guys. Uh, so then we get to the duel with Brandon Stark after the whole getting drunk and passing out and the lisa aaron thing happens oh there we go apparently all i have to do is mention it let me grab this we get to let's say 180 i'll put on the grim hat um so the duel happens with brandon stark littlefinger who very much like sansa um seems to be somebody that believes very deeply in the idea of stories and living out myths and legends um tries to duel brandon stark for catelyn's hand Brandon, by this point, is actually 22 years old. He's a broad, strapping man, not like Ned Stark, closer to like Robert Baratheon dimensions, maybe not in hype in terms of military prowess and his size. Besides, he's going to be the hero of legend. He's going to be the one to free Catelyn Tully from her evil marriage to this brutish Northerner. Doesn't go well for Littlefinger. Cat begs Brandon and Peter not to go through with it, but Brandon Stark is not one to turn down a duel. He shows up actually in his full armor, and when he sees Littlefinger in the crappy little armor he has, Brandon decides to make it a little bit fairer and fairer and takes off his armor um to match Littlefinger's. Although, knowing how Littlefinger thinks about this later, he may have seen that as an insult. That like Brandon was like, "Oh, look at this chump. I don't need all this armor to kill Littlefinger," which is You know, absolutely true. He did not need any help to smack down Littlefinger. And it seems that this moment is like the birth of a supervillain for Littlefinger, because not only does Kat take Brandon's side, but also Edmure Tully. Um, Rather than supporting his childhood friend in this time of need, Edmure acts as the squire for Brandon Stark. Brandon and also Hoster Tully allows this duel to go on, which he probably didn't have to. Brandon carves him up like a Thanksgiving turkey, he easily wins the duel and almost kills Littlefinger giving him that brutal scar up his torso. Littlefinger refuses to see any of his now what he considers his former friends uh, while he's recovering. As soon as he's well, Hoster puts him in a carriage and sends him back to the Vale hoping basically to never see him again. Also you have to keep in mind this is probably revenge for Lysa Tolley and, their, and uh, getting her pregnant. and from Hoster's perspective you can see this that not only did Littlefinger almost destroy his ability to marry off Lysa for political gain but he almost destroyed his uh, alliance to the north like if he had killed Brandon Stark in that duel what would Hoster have done so yeah you can see Hoster was pretty angry about this. Littlefinger though kind of refuses to take the L on this one refuses to take the loss Uh, once he gets back to the Vale he recovers he's well again he's at the drear fort, as he calls it, um, decides that he's done moping over getting absolutely housed by Brandon Stark, and will rise to the level that he could actually have Catelyn slash get revenge on the rest of her family. Catelyn, in his own way, and decides that he's going to take advantage of the fact, the thing that he never liked before, the fact that Lysa is the one that actually is interested in him among the. The Tully sisters he continues with her relationship you can probably assume he started sleeping with her as soon as he could after elise's marriage to john aaron Littlefinger convinces her through aaron to get her job get him the job as the customs official in Gold Town. and he is super 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 successful at this and ways that you could have to imagine are just outright corruption theft all the things we know he does as the master of coin he shows this amazing talent um that he can just rub his hands together and gold falls out. Um, essentially, setting himself up as a um, as kind of a villain, a a villain of of money, shady deals, um, lots of corruption. You can imagine that he took all the bribes while he was a customs official, gave only some back to the state, kept most of himself. That kind of relationship. Actually, let me be. What do you think of the theory that Sweet Robin is Littlefinger's child? Um, we know that they kept on their, they kept the relationship going for quite some time. There is definitely the theory out there that John Aaron, uh, was not just investigating, uh, King Robert's bastard children, but he may have gotten tuned into the idea that, Hey, isn't it weird that my kid, Robert Aaron, definitely my son doesn't look like me at all. Um, because when you look at the. At Lysa Tully and John Aaron. John Aaron's blonde. John Aaron is blonde and blue-eyed. Lysa Tully has red, brownish hair, and um, I believe blue eyes as well. Robert Aaron comes out with dark brown hair, and I believe not blue eyes. So, if John Aaron, his seed is strong comment is about how um, he's discovered that, uh, basically, that there's an inheritance problem with genetics between robert and cersei he may have discovered the same about himself with his wife and that may be why he had to die uh maybe from little lowfinger's perspective um robert aaron definitely has a body type that is more like lowfinger's the slight small uh child timing works out that very he may actually be a bail the bard kind of thing where much like his plan that he wanted to go through with Catelyn and Brandon, maybe trying to do in the future with Sansa and Harry the heir, that he decided that, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to cuckold the hell out of John Aaron. I'm going to knock up Lysa again. And it seems like she was all for it. It's certainly interesting theory, um, considering the fact that they were carrying on a relationship this whole time, a sexual relationship, very possible. Um, I would find it interesting if that was like a subplot to the whole John Aaron thing that he actually found out about Littlefinger and Lysa, and Lowfinger was like, fuck, I gotta kill him. Or maybe Lysa found out. But using this relationship with Lysa, obviously Lowfinger gets her to get him a place at court when John is brought to court after Robert's rebellion, becomes master of coin, and eventually a place on the small council. And then we get sort of Littlefinger in the current time frame where there's like almost too much to talk about with Littlefinger's um actions in the current story because this was specifically um looking back on his history his relationship to these things i thought this would be a good time to talk about his knocking bird sickle um sigil where despite the fact that house baelish has this like great history of being strong warriors of making themselves um known to known to their lords as people that can be depended on that they are effective in combat Again, Littlefinger had none of that. That he did not seem to inherit that from his parents, or at least from from his mother. So, for him, it may have been that the titan's head was the sort of thing that was almost mocking him because it's it's a callback to something he does not share. He doesn't have these abilities, and it also may have been a problem for Littlefinger because as he felt as though he was an outsider a lot of his life, especially being. The, the lowly little finger in the court of the Tullys, that showing off that he's not even Westerosi, that he's Bravosi in origin, could have been a thing he wanted to get rid of in order to kind of make himself seem more more likable and more part of Westerosi culture. Uh, I saw some people in the chat were talking about earlier. The, the mockingbird is mostly known for a bird that makes fun of other birds in a way where they, they are exceptional at mimicking the bird calls of other birds in order to mess with them. That seems to be maybe what Littlefinger is playing on. I also saw a, a Reddit post about this where they're talking about how the Mockingbird is not a native species to Westeros, I guess. I, I don't really know about that, but I thought that was an interesting conne- con- uh, connection of true that Littlefinger's um, he is essentially distancing himself from his family and his ancestry as much as he can. He wants nothing to do with the Drear Ford as he calls it. He wants nothing to do with the fingers. Um, he wants to forget his time with the Tullys, basically, except for when he brags about the time that he took Catelyn Coley's maidenhead. Did not happen. Yeah, he did, uh, he just doesn't want this connection to Bravo. She doesn't want this connection to his great-grandfather. His grandfather his father. John had the stream muted because my wife came in to talk to me and I left the room. Came back in, and Matt has a wizard hat on. Yeah. I do have a wizard hat on. Look at that. And it seems to be that Littlefinger... In his response to Brandon Stark absolutely destroying him, he decided that he would try and win in this different way. Um, I think in the show, he, I'm not sure if this is repeated in the books, but he said like I would never play their game again. And the Mockingbird seems to be his way of doing that. That he's going to be everybody's best friend until he's not, and then stab a n- knife in their back, which ends up being what happens. Oh, good myth here from Amanda. Uh, the myth of the first Mockingbird was a man who wanted to be ruler of the mall and use his gift of voice to kill people. Seems like a good fit. Yeah, Lilfinger also um, is a great talker. Um, there's a lot of language about the way he talks about singing songs. So again, bail the bard idea, but basically that he entrances the court with hero- with um, letting them hear what they want to, while it ends up helping himself. There's also been some ideas I've seen in the fandom that Lilfinger like is like against the feudal culture and he's bringing it down to be like a capitalist and trying to like. Destroy feudalism. I don't think that's actually true. Littlefinger more seems to be that he wants to have a total mastery of the feudal system because that's what he knows. He doesn't want to tear it down because then he would lose his his one edge he has over the stupid lords and that he's smart and able to use it against them, kind of like Euron Greyjoy does with the Ironborn culture. He just wants to elevate himself, destroy his rivals, and become better than them rather than actively remaking the culture in a different way. Oh, do I think he'll lose his tongue? You know what? Let's let's talk about that now. We're talking about the winds of winter in House Baelish. Uh, there's a few quotes that are super interesting in terms of foreshadowing. Uh, we know in the show that Littlefinger ended up getting caught in his lies by Sansa and Arya. Arya kills him. There's definitely parts of that that will not be the same. Obviously, the Jane Poole Sansa merger won't happen. But the idea that Littlefinger will probably rally the Knights of the Vale, maybe around Harry the Heir, maybe around Robert Aaron to go north. To help sansa reclaim winterfell is definitely something that's on the table especially since Wilfinger has in the past essentially daydreamed about going to winterfell again getting revenge on the starks some more um and there's two quotes here that are super interesting especially because they relate to sansa and like we were talking about earlier how sansa is sometimes a foreshadowing machine uh this is from the ghost of high heart one of her prophecies she says i dreamt a wolf howling in the rain but no one heard his grief I believe that is Grey Wind I dreamt a clanger I thought I, I dreamt such a clanger I thought my head might burst drums and horns and pipes and screams but the saddest sound was the little bells red wedding I dreamt of a maid at a feast with purple serpents in her hair venom dripping from the fangs that is Sansa's hairnet being used to kill Joffrey and then later I dreamt that maid again slaying a savage giant in a castle built of snow um that last one had puzzled readers for a while but then we get a a callback to this in the lane chapter and this is when sansa was in the eerie and she was building a snow castle version of winterfell and robert aaron comes out and starts messing with her and they get into a little fight and this is the the line that happens a mad rage seized hold of her she picked up a broken branch and smashed the torn doll's head down on top of it then pushed it down atop the shattered gatehouse of her snow castle. The servants looked aghast, but when Littlefinger saw what she'd done, he laughed. I don't know if you should laugh at this one, Littlefinger. If the tales be true, that's not the first giant to end up with its head on Winterfell's walls. Those were only stories she said, and left him there. Now this one takes a little bit of thought to piece it together, but the basic idea is you have to remember that Littlefinger's actual family sigil is a titan's head a titan a giant those are cognates for each other basically or synonyms synonyms that's the right word um so um like amanda says in the chat um there's definitely this idea in the fandom that little finger will get caught at some point by sansa and she'll be and he will be executed and his head placed on the walls of winterfell like giants in the past that the titan's head not the giant's head will be the one on the gates of Winterfell, and that the the ghosts of High Heart, when seeing this dream, did not differentiate between giant and titan. Um, yeah, heads on spikes. Again, we'll probably see some version of Littlefinger val the rallying the Knights of the Vale and the Lord's declarant. But there's, I don't think Dion Royce is going to stand for Littlefinger as long as he did in show. Um, the show. And Harry the heir, again, as I said before, stands as a problem for Littlefinger. House Royce wants to use Harry to replace Robert Aaron, who they s- maybe suspect is not John Aaron's, but is definitely sickly and the tool that Littlefinger is using to rule the Vale. Harry the heir has a much closer relationship to the Royces and the Declarants, so there's definitely some foreshadowing there that the snow- that the giant with his head on the, the Castle Belt of Snow, Winterfell, uh, the other ones were also highly symbolic when, when they eventually converted into the real uh, the real versions, and all of them have come true, so... We expect to see a giant's head of some kind on the gates of Winterfell. Littlefinger is the one I think that probably the theory that makes the most sense. Whew. All right. So we got about 15 minutes left. Um, I'm going to finish up some of the questions from patrons, but you guys can just start throwing questions at me. We'll see what we can do with the uh, what we got left over from Littlefinger and House Baelish and all that stuff. Uh, I see you guys are talking about the theory that, oh, no, the poison was meant for Tyrion instead of Joffrey. No, that's that is not true. I know it's a fun theory, but it makes no sense. And also not true. It wasn't the pie. I know this is a popular theory. Absolutely not. The, the poison was meant for Joffrey and that's who got it. So, uh, so one here from, uh, uh, Ramona, she left a a question as well as, uh, choosing the topic. Um, after being chased from River Run, somehow around the same time, Rhaegar extracted Liana from, from around Heron Hall. Um, Peter had the opportunity to cross roads with the happy couple. Do you think he's the one that launched the Rhaegar kidnapped Liana fake news and convinced Brandon of the truth of it? So, this is a theory that has been around for a while that um, in an effort to mess with everybody, Littlefinger intercepted a message and then passed it on to Brandon Stark k- saying that, oh no, this wasn't they didn't run away from for love or running from Ares or anything like that that he made it a kidnapping in order to cause a war um as far as we know at this time little finger was back in the veil um so i don't think there's much of a chance of that happening it was a um it would be it would be a fun like retcon or like a look back in some way to let, like little started his revenge very early on brandon stark but i don't think you can assume even from spreading that rumor that it will definitely lead to a civil war that like brandon will ride into the red keep and say come out and die and all that other stuff like that is way too much like foresight for that kind of thing for what happened with brandon and liana i mean uh Rhaegar and liana and how it got to brandon it's probably just like a game of telephone where um a misunderstanding got repeated to brandon he thought the worst of it he was already already very mad at rhaegar for giving liana the the queen of love and beauty at at the um Hall attorney so he probably was already against rhaegar in his own way unhappy about that whole thing and then just took it the wrong way uh, guilty undertaker asks is house Baelish a foil for dunk both low bornish men who owe their rise to the blackfire rebellion i think there's definitely um, a way you could read." Littlefinger's ancestors, and also um, Littlefinger's rise to power, as a, yeah, as a foil to Dunk. Very different ways of getting to power, but I think w- the major difference between them is that there's a genuineness to Dunk that isn't there to Littlefinger, and but definitely the idea that they essentially rode the Blackfire rebellions and continue to this day in order to take advantage of chaos in a way that benefits them although dunk doesn't really see it that way he sort of does good deeds and then is accidentally rewarded for it not really thinking it through like that's a major part of the hedge knight where at the end of it he's like ah damn i i don't have money for my armor i don't i don't have like I'm, i'm not ready for this trial by seven and the armor gives him the stuff free of charge and everyone claps for him and it's like there's a quality of character to dunk that is recognized that littlefinger is trying to essentially mimic Although he's much more like a, a Blood Raven figure in terms of how he reacts to things. But definitely both examples of how the Lowborn are rising to power in the vacuum of, you know, lords and knights and soldiers who died during the Blackfire rebellions. Um, do you think, only Shadowkin says, do you think it will be Sansu who ends up ruling Winterfell and will Cat Lady Stoneheart end up running across Peter Baelish uh, with her daughter? Good question. I haven't seen much speculation about if Littlefinger will end up beating Lady Stoneheart again. Um, The foreshadowing seems to be that Littlefinger will probably die at Winterfell or in the north. I don't know how if Lady Stoneheart will make her way up there, but I would definitely like to see. That would be a really cool scene if the two of them cross paths at some point. And will Sansa be the one that ends up ruling Winterfell? It could be. I don't think Bran's going to maybe Rickon. I, I i don't know if he's gonna die or not um i don't think john will do it i don't think john will end up rolling winterfell so if it's not Rickon, it probably will be sansa yeah um rob rob stark is not brandon stark's child rob was really really i mean uh brandon stark was long long dead when rob was conceived you can't fake that robert in and uh, uh, from Indie Geek places Littlefinger at the end of the Crossroads at this point relating the kidnap story to Brandon. Yeah, I I, I tend not to agree and I tend not to agree with that one. Uh Radio Westeros did a whole story, did a whole um episode on this that you guys should listen to. And it doesn't seem like Littlefinger was really anywhere near there. It, I don't know. It's it's I would be surprised if Littlefinger had his finger in that one. Do you think Littlefinger, uh, Flint and Seal, do you think Littlefinger will be, on, you know, handsy with Sansa will end up being his downfall? Perhaps someone sees. I think the thing that's going to be his downfall is that Sansa is going to realize Littlefinger's role and the downfall of House Stark. That letter that Lysa st- wrote is still out there as knowledge. It seems like Littlefinger is sort of trading on the idea that Sansa is unaware and she's and that she's a novice at being like a schemer and putting things together. But she's rapidly growing in her mental abilities to think. Uh, strategically and think like Littlefinger and as she does and thinking about Lysa, Lysa Tully's murder and what she said she'll probably put together the pieces that wait a second what if this guy was behind it that kind of thing I think that will probably be the um a downfall although him being handsy could be a thing that sort of breaks the spell that he has on her uh what about is Rhea Westro streaming today I can't find the link I don't think they are I think they're off this week um, let's see here. Oh, I got a patron question from Aaron M. Um she wants to know if there's any good left at all in Littlefinger. She says I don't know why, but I don't hate Littlefinger as much as other people. I know he's horrible and does horrible things, but for some reason all the villains in the story I pity him, pity him more than I hate him. And I think that is um something that the books does a lot better than the show. Where Littlefinger does have things you could have empathy for him for. What happened with him and Brandon? and the way he got kind of dumped back in the veil, the way all the Tully's turned on him um, in his m- moment of greatest need, when he thought they were his friends, they would have his back against the stranger Brandon Stark, and they all turned against him. I, there's definitely, I think, empathy you can have for him, but he is he is, he is a terribly horrible person. The things he does to people in the story, what he's doing to Sansa now, the way he's trying to enact a revenge on the Starks, and the the way that he started this War of the Five Kings in effect to try and essentially get them all killed is so far removed and in such an overreaction to what happened to him that um, I don't think there's any good left in Littlefinger at this point that he has been essentially consumed by his hate and his rage and his desire for revenge and to, to essentially not feel powerless again. That he wants to kind of erase this feeling from himself by erasing all the people involved. There's maybe a point where Littlefinger could have been salvaged as a person. But I'm guessing that much in the same way that Tyrion's voyage to uh, Essos essentially cemented this idea in himself of um, self-loathing and hatred and the feelings of revenge... Littlefinger probably experienced much the same thing on his way back from River Run to the Vale and then staying there on, that, on the Drear Fort, as he calls it, for quite some time before ending up um, deciding to not give up on himself. Yeah, it's probably all like Hoster Tully's fault. <laughs> I'm going to blame Hoster Tully. Everything Hoster Tully's fault. Littlefinger get a job. I wonder if Little uh, Barrel Rider. I wonder if Lilfinger will steal Edmure again. That would be interesting if they cross paths again. Uh, but it seems like Lowfinger has essentially said, "Like screw you" to all members of House Tully. I mean, he literally murdered Lysa, got Catelyn killed, in, indirectly through the Red Wedding, uh, by drawing him into the war. And also, he doesn't seem that broken up about Catelyn dying. Um, I don't think we have anything on him where he's like, where Sansa walks in on him like mourning her her mother or anything like that. I don't I don't think Lilfinger and Edmure have probably talked since then, but it would be interesting to see what would happen. Uh, I imagine it would be at the very least an icy reception. That <laughs> Lilfinger will not have forgotten that Edmure abandoned him for the stranger Brandon Stark in his time of greatest need. He thought they were friends. And it turns out that Edmure's loyalty to Hashir and the Tully's was greater than their friendship. And he seems to have taken internalized that and taken it very personally. Mod Mary 1 says, Does Littlefinger have any connections to the Iron Bank? It's hard to say because, I, like I talked about earlier, he seems to have done sort of an erasure of his Bravosi heritage. There is some amount of him that is, is maybe connected to Bravos in a weird way, like perhaps the Faceless Men. Like um, in a Game of Thrones, when they're talking about how to kill Daenerys, it's Littlefinger who knows the prices essentially on how much it costs to hire a Faceless Men, implying that maybe he's tried to hire them in the past um he definitely has his trade and his businesses so he may have some kind of connections in that way with the iron bank um i believe it's also littlefinger who ran up the iron bank's debts that took out all the money and then i think tywin lannister bought the debt or something like that i'm not really sure but i don't think he's like working with the iron bank i think they're just like a convenient um financial tool in order to to advance himself and to use them as a weapon against Robert and Tywin, he's de- he certainly dealt with them. I don't think like he's like a secret agent of the Iron Bank. I don't think he has like a pact with the Seor de Bravos. I don't think he's like exploiting his Bravosi heritage in any way. It seem- it seems like he just he deals with them in the way that a master of coin has to. Costardly is this terrible? I hope Brendan Blackfish does more than just be murdered off screen in the books. Yeah, Hoster Tully was terrible. His treatment of Lysa, his treatment of Littlefinger is pretty despicable, and I think the Blackfish is essentially saying, I'm never going to talk to this guy again, tells you kind of all you need to know about Hoster Tully as a person, even though we don't really learn about him much on the page. The Blackfish seems like a pretty stand-up, moral person, good head on his shoulders, and he thinks Hoster's a piece of shit, so. Oh! (laughs) Stanko, Uh, says Stanko says oh my fucking god I am live watching Joe Magician hi how's it going glad you could uh catch it although we're gonna end in a few minutes so Guilty Undertaker says why would Littlefinger mourn Cat when he has a new improved Cat aka Sansa that's a good point and it's I think it's uh, something I I read in analysis is talking about Littlefinger and his relationship to Cat and that he's not actually in love with Catelyn Tully as or Catelyn Stark as she exists as a person because they haven't talked to each other in like 15 years he's in love with the idea of her much in the same way I was talking about last week with the relationship between Cersei and Rhaegar where it's to Littlefinger Catelyn's sort of a life not had a not so much a person but a thing to a thing to him a thing to be chased something to be acquired another asset that sort of seems to be how he treats their relationship which is terrible (laughs) um and that's probably why he doesn't really mourn her in any real way because to him his pursuit of her and trying to attain the level where he could have married her at the time instead of Brandon Stark seems to be much more a something about himself than anything really about Catelyn it's it's almost like she's become a a goal or like a or what is it like a, um, a level of success he wants to get himself to rather than the real person. Like I, if I think if even if Catelyn let's say there's a there's an alternate reality where in a Game of Thrones Catelyn throws herself at Littlefinger and he gets to a relationship that he never got from her and he cuckolds and Ned and all this other kind of stuff. I don't think that changes anything for Littlefinger Lungf- at the current time because that's not really what he wants. He wants the, he wants his past to go away. He wants that hurt to end and sleeping with Catelyn Tully won't do that. Yeah, she was a trophy. She's um, she's not a real person to Littlefinger anymore. Yeah, <laughs> manic pixie, dream girl kind of thing. Um, woman on a pedestal. Not, not not a real person she's just a thing that he wants she's to him Catlin's like Heron hall or um or being lord paramount it's like the same relationship between him and lysa where they finally get married he becomes Lord protector of the veil vale, he has everything he wants and then he kills her it, it kind of shows that it's not about the person anymore it's about the the power and objectification let's take a few more questions and then uh we'll get out of here milo gentry's trying to get us to 180 likes I get okay. We get to 100 that he likes. I'll answer the last question as Germ. How about that? We're at 173 right now. 223 people watching. It looks like. Um, yeah. So last call for questions. Just shout them out there. We're going to try and do this fast. Oh, good quote. Uh, Evil things begin when you start when you treat people as things. From Terry Pratchett. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, did I read Gurm's new post, "Flinted Steel"? Yes, I did. Uh, we talked about it at the top of the stream during the first few minutes. So I can go back and see that one. What will happen to if? Harry the heir does not die and the marriage happens. I have the impression that everyone thinks he's dead seas. <laughs> um, what will happen if Harry the heir does not die? Well, he's right now supposed to marry Sansa. That's a good question. I think most, I think, I mean, I definitely think Harry will die, but how would their relationship go? How would their marriage go? Um, well, it's not like Sansa's going to be in a position where she could be a distance ruler of the north, like that place has real problems and it's been destroyed by, by war and it will be destroyed by the others and the, and the Boltons and the Civil War and all that kind of stuff. So even if they do get married, it will, it will probably be the kind of thing where, they have, where she has to spend most of her time in the North and she can't really ignore it. I do think that Harry's time is, <laughs> Harry's minutes are numbered. Oh, it looks like we just got to it. I can never get this thing straight when I put it on. All right, there we go. Germ hat. <laughs> Uh, $5 from Eugene. Uh, thank you so much. Very generous for the hat switch. There you go. Got the hat switch. Um, Alright, so last question here. Let's see here. Uh, only Shadowkin. Do you think that Littlefinger did love Kat and maybe some measure of that passed to Sansa? If that's the case, maybe that is um, his downfall, maybe not unlike the show. So there is some part of Littlefinger that loved Catlin as the person, but it was Catlin as the girl that she was. It was like, it's a love of the old times, a love of childhood. It's not a, a love as a real person. Um I suspect that Littlefinger's relationship to Sansa and the one he seems to be trying to encourage is not one of love and it's not one of any genuine caring he has for Sansa. I think for him that he sees her as a way to try again with Catelyn this idea of Catelyn he has in his head to kind of rewrite his history that kind of thing whatever love he has for her the person I think died long ago I think it is true that his soft spot for Sansa and Cat will probably yes contribute to his downfall that um there's sort of this idea where Littlefinger is I mean since we're talking about his bravosi um great-grandfather that he's sort of like a water dancer at court that he dances in between the different lords and he's able to sow chaos and he's able to advance himself because there's sort of this idea to him that nothing really matters that he's willing to kill a king just because it will make things more chaotic and he can take advantage of that there's this idea that he's not tied down to anyone or anything there's a line where he says like how many men in king's landing have a mockingbird sewn over their heart and that kind of thing where his power is based in this ability to stay loose and agile and dodge everything because no one knows knows where to hit him. But Sansa is a place where he is anchoring himself. He is exposing himself to his enemies and he's exposing himself um, to danger because now there's finally something Littlefinger cares about that is guiding his actions, which makes him more predictable than he was before. Especially if someone finds out that Sansa Stark is actually a lane stone, like we know that the House Royce seems to already know. So yeah, that, that could definitely be a part of his downfall, that his affection for Sansa is a weak spot. One that he that he is making known to the rest of the world, a thing he previously did not do. And I'm hoping Sansa that will deliver that downfall, that she realizes what he's doing and. Tries to, tries to get revenge for House Stark on Littlefinger. Whew. all right. So went a little bit over. So again, thank you guys so much for everybody that um that stopped by today. Um, no stream to send you to afterwards. I don't think Rio Westeros is going today. I think they'll be going next week. I believe they said they're they're going to take a break. Tune in. Let's see here. This coming Tuesday for for more Crusader King two Crusader Kings two action. Where I'm playing as uh, House Stark. There will be a Stark Civil War coming. Maybe. I hope not. I don't want to. But it may. Um, and of course next Saturday for another uh, quarant stream. Haven't picked the topic yet. Um, but you know. I'll think of something. Just like this. Um, thank you again so much to Ramona for the suggestion. And to look at this. The idea of House Baelish and their history. And the, the tinfoil about him maybe being Secret Valerian Valyrian or Targaryen. What I'm working on next. I think the next thing that will come out will be the Meat House Man patron only episode. After that, I'm going to be looking at doing the Tattered Prince, what is his five-year gap identity, kind of like Brienne the Beauty and Pretty Maris, along with, I'm going to put out another video talking about like what the five-year gap is, just to be like, so I don't have to keep saying it (laughs) every time I put out one of these videos. But yeah, um, thanks so much. Uh, Again, thank you to my patrons and to everyone that left a super chat today, all the likes, all the views, Uh, like, subscribe, do all the things. Have a good Saturday. I'll see you all later.